Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding. And welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding podcast, where every week I help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. That might be the mission of the nonprofit you're working at, or if you're a nonprofit consultant or freelance grant writer, the many different missions you help with the nonprofits you serve. All right, so we have an excellent show for you today. This is actually a recorded replay of a presentation that was done last week, February 2nd, 2023 with Rachel Waterman from Global Development Solutions. And why I wanted to share it here on the podcast as well is because it is so good. And she has so many gems um, in the deep research that she did last year in 2022 with grant professionals. So her research and her survey that she conducted with grant professionals was to really look at the behavior behind pricing and to see how many grant professionals out there feel like they're fairly compensated, to see how much confidence they have in their pricing structures. And also, she really dove in to some interesting things such as, are they working unbilled hours? How many unbilled hours on average? Do they charge different prices to startup nonprofits versus seasoned nonprofits? And also are those with grant professional certifications earning more than those without those certifications? And she really dove into this, into these questions and this report and this presentation really gives us a great insight into all of those questions. And you're gonna be shocked at some of the answers to this because it's really interesting to see that I think it's 83% of grant professionals in this survey, over 100 um, different grant professionals were surveyed from across the nation and even internationally. And what we saw was 83% are females. So this is a predominant, and this actually echoes the GPA, the Grant Professionals Association uh, survey, where I believe they survey over a thousand grant professionals and very similar statistics on gender in this industry. So really interesting. Those of you who are thinking about becoming a freelance grant writer or already are one, you're a grant professional working out there and, and offering your services to nonprofits, you're gonna get so much out of this podcast today because it's really gonna go into that deep psychology or mindset behind pricing. And those of you who are working inside nonprofits, this is also going to be enlightening to see how these consultants that work with you feel about their pricing and where they're at with their pricing. I think this is so interesting from the nonprofit's perspective because we need to realize that this is an industry that is a profession, right? And I know a lot of you nonprofits out there, what we're asking a lot of times is, hey, can you work pro bono? Can you give discounts, all of this? And the thing is, is you wouldn't ask that of, you know, the plumber coming to your place to fix it or an accountant or any other industry. So it's interesting that this industry kind of gets slammed with that when grant professionals are writing grants that often bring in millions of dollars for your nonprofit. So just to really kind of rethink this, and a lot of that is just because it's prevalent. It's kind of what maybe your employer before did or your executive director Um, has done in the past or your board of directors has advised you to do as far as asking for discounts and that sort of thing. And the thing is, is that that's just going to bring the industry down. When grant professionals aren't getting paid adequately for their services, they're not able to serve you, right? They're not able to continue their businesses and actually invest in learning more about grants and working really hard for you because they're just not getting sufficient payments. So this is really interesting to start, and I wanted to kick this conversation off and have you really think about it, uh, whether once again you are a grant professional or if you're working inside a nonprofit. But before we get to our podcast today, I just wanted to say a big thank you to our podcast episode sponsor, Grant Easy Management Software. Grant Easy Management Software, known as GEMS, of course an acronym, is the online grant management software solution for nonprofit organizations and grant writing consultants. For you nonprofits, 
nerds out there, GEMS is a great online software where you can keep track of all your important deadlines and your grant life cycle. That means grant applications, letters of inquiry, interim and final reports, meetings, and other important tasks to complete. That's including your dates to remember, plus funder information and a call log. This is so important because at a click of a button, you can have all of this information available to you. And for consultants, you also get all of that for each of your clients, which makes it really good for you to manage important deadlines and documents for all of your clients in one place, and you can give them access to their own work plan. This will benefit your grant management. Absolutely. And you can get $50 off. To find out more, go ahead and go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash gems. That's G-E-M-S. Thank you again for Grant Easy Management Software and Global Development Solutions for sponsoring this episode. All right, I'm excited about this podcast episode. It is amazing. Once again, we have Rachel Waterman with GEMS, and I am replaying the presentation she gave last week that has so much information for grant professionals and their pricing. For more information on this specific episode, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 257. That'll give you all of the show notes and links to the actual uh, video replay as well if you want to watch it. And if you're interested in getting the full report, we also have the link there and so much more. All right, here's Rachel in the presentation pricing survey revealed for all grant professionals. I am so excited to be here. We were just saying before we came on that this has been a long time in the making. Um, you know, we've been working on this data and this report for oh, I don't know, five months now. And um, and we've been thinking about it for a really long time, <clears throat> really long time. So yeah. we're really excited that the day is finally here that we get to share this with everyone. Absolutely. Super excited. Yeah, I know, because you and I, you know, um, as there is because I got to see the report already, you guys, you guys are going to love it. And, you know, as I was looking through this, I was like, wow, you know, we met in 2020 and we started talking about this all the way from back then. You and I were both talking about it, like saying, oh my gosh, this is the number one question. Number one struggle we get from grant professionals is about pricing strategy, pricing structure. How do I raise my prices? All of those things related to pricing. And it's just not really talked about right? It's, it's the number one question. But interestingly enough, it's not really discussed. It's kind of like that hush-hush thing. Don't talk about yeah, it. Right? Yeah. 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 And it was like, wait a second. If we need to, you know, we clearly need to raise the bar on pricing in this industry um, because there's so many issues surrounding it, but it was more kind of anecdotal. So now that we're able to actually have data and you did this super deep dive into it, now there's you know, a place where we can actually move forward with data, data-driven and grant writers as we are. <laughs> Anyone in here resonate with that, being asked to write grants for free or do a little extra work? Um, just put some extra asterisks in the chat box because I'm sure people will be resonating with you on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, see it, see it. Everyone's <laughs> dropping the asterisks. Yes, if you've ever been asked to work for um, or pro bono work, right? Yes. So we're going to, it's going to be interesting. I can't wait. So we are going to get into this now. So we have, I want us to go ahead and get kicked off. Um, and I, because I want to have enough time because I know there's going to be conversation after. Rachel has also done something really cool. She's sharing the results here. If you want a full copy of the results, we'll talk about that at the end, um, but and, and a little bit in the beginning. But I just want to thank you guys for coming in, all of you guys from Grant Writing and Funding. We are so honored that Rachel was like, hey, we're going to premiere the results with you guys here. So super excited. So thank you, Rachel, for considering us to host this event. Really excited since we've been talking about this for so long and you guys did the deep work to actually get the data. So to talk about that, Rachel Waterman is a chief executive officer of GDS and of GEM. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about your business too, because, and you can see her logo behind her. 
Love it. Um, but you have over 25 years of community development and grant writing experience. You're a certified professional, um, grants professional certified, certified fundraising executive, and a grants professional association approved trainer. And you're an expert in grant management. And that's why you've really developed a lot of your systems that you offer. Um, you also hold a master degree uh, in community and economic development with a concentration in applied social research and a bachelor's degree in international studies. So what was really interesting to me, because like I said, I got to read the report already and you guys are gonna love it, is in the preface, you, you also talked more about your research and obviously you have a master's in applied, right? Working with applied research. You're like a research nerd, which I love. There's <laughs> a lot of us are in here. And one of your, your graduate thesis research Latinos in the Heartland, an ethnographic study of the Latino community in central Illinois. You actually got uh, funded partly from a grant. And but what was really interesting is that research led to the dismissal of the city's police chief and other high ranking officials. So I was like, holy smokes, girl. Um, and then a review even of the immigration and customs enforcement practices in the interior. So I thought that was so interesting. And that research paper, right, that research that you did is now held at the collections of the McLean County Museum of History and the Illinois State Library. So really cool. You, you are definitely not a stranger to research. You've been doing it since before even your graduate, but you, you really focused on it then. And you've done it in your practice, like in your actual business. You've done a lot of research, deep research for different nonprofits that have helped transform like the direction and trajectory that they have. And now this one, you turn back on, on the grant professional. So you used your skills in that. So I just want to thank you for doing that because this is something that's really needed to be revealed. We're not talking about price fixing today, y'all, right? Like that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about really the behavior, the mindset behind pricing, right? We're talking a lot about um, really what are you pricing when it comes down to looking at your time. So without further ado, I'm not gonna take any more of your time because I'm excited to get to these results, but I just wanted to give a really good introduction. And I wanna thank you guys thank all for coming today. So I'm gonna head, head and hand it over to Rachel Waterman. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> and I, I really appreciate the intro. Um, as, as you said, GDS Grants is my grant consulting firm. I am a grant consultant as well and have been um, for, I don't know, about 15 years ago, I started my own consulting firm. I moonlighted as a consultant forever because I didn't make enough money in the nonprofit industry you know, like many of us. And so <clears throat> even when I was a staff person and I come from a program background, um, I always did research for hire and grant writing for hire. So I do own my own grant consulting firm. I'm in the trenches with the rest of you. I know what it's like. I have my team here with me today. I have Heather um, who helps us put together our content. She helped a lot with this data analysis and she's running the slideshow for me because you wouldn't want me to do it. It would be a disaster. So Heather makes me look good. And I have Deja with us today too. She's our client and funding relations manager. And she's the person at my firm that deals with the clients and the pricing. So, um, and she uh, presented the um, workshop that we presented in November at the GPA National Conference about pricing. Um, we So we've been really working to create some conversation about what's going on with the way we price and the way we get paid. <clears throat> so without further ado, um, I'm super excited to, to take all of these skills and these experiences and these and the trauma and, and put it all together and bring to everyone, um, my fellow grant writers, some, some real groundbreaking data that hopefully uh, we as a profession can take a look at collectively, which is my hope for today. Let's go ahead to the next slide. So I do need to start with a few disclaimers. The first is that the report uh, belongs to GDS. Uh, GDS is the parent company of GEMS. GEMS is Grant Easy Management Software. Um, it's a grant management software built by grant writers for grant writers, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And Global Development Solutions is our grant writing consulting firm. We did um, we did this research. We funded it. Uh, we've interpreted it, and the property uh, the the report 
belongs to us, you are going to be able to get a copy. Um, free copies been provided all the survey respondents, and we'll show you how you can get a copy at the end. But we wanted you, we want to expressly express that the opinions that we're going to share today are our own. They're based on our data collection and our interpretation of the data that we collected. Um, it's not a reflection of our sponsors. Um, and the other thing is that's really important is for everyone to understand that the research that we did and the, and the results that we're going to share is in no way an attempt to fix pricing. Uh, we don't talk about what is the right price or what you should charge. We're going to talk about how um, rather than what. And the reason for that is because um, doing so would be a violation of antitrust law. So I'm just a little old grant writer and I don't want problems with, you know, Uncle Sam. So we're going to steer clear away from that. But if you're wondering why we don't talk about that, that's why. All right. So I think that's my housekeeping and I'm, I'm ready to move forward. I hope everybody's ready to go. So as a firm, as Holly mentioned, we do a lot of research. And Mary, your client who isn't willing to do data, they can't work with us. We wouldn't work with them because that's the way we work. Uh, we make our clients look at their data. Uh, we make our clients, I say make because sometimes it's not so easy, right? But we want to make sure that what we're communicating to funders are real numbers. They all ask for numbers. And I don't do the like, oh, you just pretend like you think you know what it is and I'm going to write on paper. So we end up getting very involved with our clients to find out those real numbers. Why? Because a lot of them really don't know. And they've been using the same numbers for years and years and they just rewrite it over and over. And so what we really do um, as a firm and what I've done as a professional my whole career is look to bring the power of data to people that don't have master's degrees in social research like me um, to for them to understand and own their own data. Too many of our clients, they just report data to their funders. They don't even know what they're telling them and they don't have control over the story that their data is telling. So that's really what, um, what we seek to do as a firm. <clears throat> and, and this project was really an opportunity of, after years and years of exploring hard to answer questions about social impact, economic impact, program impact, we decided to use our data skills to look at some of our own questions like I've been talking to you about since 2020. Like, so we're finally able to use these skills and our team to really get at some of these questions about pricing and pay. And so here it is. So we wanted to look at a couple of major overarching things such as who and who isn't struggling with pricing issues. Uh, we wanted to look at how consultants determine what is a fair price. And we wanted to look at who is getting fairly paid for their grant consulting work. So this was specifically with grant consultants. Um, that's That was so something that we're really excited about this data populations too, because many of the other reports out there like were mixed in with staff grant writers. And so this is really about how we run our businesses as grant consultants. Okay, so those are our questions that we look to answer. Of course, with any research, you answer some questions and you discover a whole bunch of new questions that you need to answer. So that's kind of fun too. So who participated in the study? Um, this research reflects the participation of 116 grant consultants. Um, the surveys were collected over a period of 45 weeks. Uh, in that 116, we have 69 owners of grant consulting firms, 38 subcontractors, and nine freelancers. Um, Respondents live in six different countries, including the US and 28 US states. So we got a really good broad selection of folks. We have quite a few folks in Canada and then a couple of smack smatterings of people. We got someone in Guam. <laughs> so someone from your neighborhood uh, chimed in too. So that was really exciting. All right. So the respondents um, have a median of 40 years in 14 years in the profession. So we're really talking about, remember this as we go through these results, we're talking about people that have, you know, sizable careers in the industry and half of those years, a median of seven years in the cons in consulting business. So these are not new grant writers. 
These are not new consultants. Um, of course, what we learn from them is helpful for those of us who are new in the field, but I want you to remember that as we hear about what, what they're dealing with, that um, these are people with considerable amount of experience in the industry and as consultants. Okay, and Holly, if you need to interrupt me, I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> All right, next slide. So here it is. Are you ready? More than a third of our respondents say they struggle. I have to move my little box to identify a fair price. And almost half say they struggle to charge a fair price. And we wanted to make sure that we made that distinction between pricing and charging. Um, so that I find really interesting. And a third report that they don't bill for all their hours worked. And we're gonna talk a lot about that um, today. So if you want the exact statistics, they are all in the report, but just to not like bamboozle you with a bunch of numbers, um, I rounded them for the purpose of this presentation. So almost a third of respondents say they realize after giving a price that it was too low. And one in five say that after doing the work, they realize the price is too low. So we are underpricing ourselves and we are struggling to charge and we're not even charging for all the hours that we work. A lot of us, at least a third of us. Approximately one in five grant consultants feels underpaid and a third feel their work is undervalued. And it's no doubt when looking at these numbers, why people would feel underpaid. We are underpaid. <laughs> we're not getting all of our hours bill up paid and we're struggling to get payments. So we are underpaid and a third feel their work is undervalued. So I'm not surprised by those numbers, but I am sad at those numbers, especially after you give your entire life <laughs> to this stuff. All right. Rachel, can I just interrupt? <laughs> so I just, I, yeah, I mean, and I totally resonate with this. So can I just ask, because I would love to have some feedback in the chat about this slide, because it's, there's so much information just on this slide alone, right? So for those of you, um, who in here like may struggle? Who in here resonates overall with these um, results right here? Just put yes, yes, yes. If you do, yeah, me here. Yeah, so Aaron says me. Holly says me. Kim says me resonates. Yep, so definitely the second bullet, okay? So yeah, so definitely you guys aren't alone. And I think part of this is not just about like saying, okay, because it, it is sad, right? But at the same time, when we kind of say, I'm not alone in this, there's power right. to that, right? Like, so <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of yeses, yeah, a lot of needs. So yeah, and definitely one out of five, like feel underpaid. And if there's 99 people in this in this room right now, or there are 99 people in this room, like that's quite a few of you, right? So definitely um, this is something that I think is good because it's powerful when we can feel not alone. And to say, wow, if I feel underpaid and a lot of people in here feel underpaid and everyone's resonating 100%, she says right in here in this, in this chat, um, then definitely what we can move forward from this, right? Maybe this is something where we can say, ah, I need to raise my prices just by this conversation and this slide alone, right? Gives us that power. So does anyone in here now feel a little bit more empowered because you don't feel alone? So if you can just put that in the chat box, like even what your reactions to this data are. I think that's really cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just, before you slide, I was like, I love it so much. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is also really important because we grant writers are the little engines that can. Um, we are the ones that are making possible billions of dollars of programming, arts, cultural, educational. Um, so, you know, we're the ones that are making sure that everything else is happening. We are the people who help people who help people. And we need to help ourselves, you know? So that's really, really important to me. Okay, I think we're ready for the next slide. <laughs> Everyone finished taking their pictures. <laughs> okay, so then we broke down the data that we got to look at things like gender, uh, certification status, start, people work with startups, um, all sorts of different kinds of things. We broke down um, geography, 
um, whether how many years you have in the in in the work. So we we broke it down by a lot of different ways to see what kinds of patterns and correlations um, that that uh, emerged. And these were some of the highlights. Again, the report is 34 pages and there's no fluff. Um, so there's a lot of information there. We can't go over all of it in today's session. So I picked out just a couple of things. But first, um, when we broke it down by, by um, females versus males, uh, the females do more than 10 hours of unpaid work each month, whereas only a quarter of the males do. So right there, we're twice as many women as men are doing unpaid work. So I found that to be really interesting. And females are more are nearly 50% more likely to lose clients over billing issues. So I thought that was really interesting as well. Um, and I see lots of questions coming in. So I'm gonna ask Heather to help me sort of organize the, the data questions if you can from what's in the chat. So when we looked at grant certification status, we saw that it very much positively impacts confidence in pricing structures, but has no real effect on rates charged or income earned. So that was really interesting. We looked at um, people with all sorts of different kinds of certifications and people that didn't have any. Um, and then we, for startups, this one I thought was really interesting is that grant consultants who work with startups and not work exclusively, either you do or you don't. So you might do and you might do other things as well, but grant consultants who work with startups earn less income. They work more unpaid hours. They have more challenges getting paid for their work and they are more likely to lose clients over billing issues. So some of these things are things that like make sense and you're like, oh yeah, sure, I knew that. But we have real hard data now to show this. Um, so that was really interesting. Of course, I think about 30% of the people responded that they charge their rate based on what the um, uh, organization can pay. So, so I, I don't know if that means, um, you know, if they can pay a lot, they charge them a lot, if they pay, can't pay, but I think it probably means um, they give them a sliding fee scale based on if they're a smaller organization or can't pay as much. But this data clearly shows us that those startups should be paying you more, not less. <laughs> so they take a lot more work from you. All right. So before I get myself into too much trouble and have people getting angry at me, let's go ahead and move on to the next slide. All right. So we asked people how they actually charge. Um, we had um, a question that was multiple choice, which we're showing to here. We also had an open-ended question and I got amazing, you know, several word answers to entire books about how people calculate their price. Um, and we've synthesized all that data for you. When of the four pricing methods that we presented by our by project, contract for deliverables or contract for time period, you can see the data there. Um, more than a third, 34% said they use all of them. And 68% use some sort of combination thereof. So if you're new in this business or you've been in here a long time and you you truly are confused about how you should be charging, well, there's no, no question about why you should be because all of us don't have, we all are, we're all charging by a bunch of different ways. So of course that makes it more complicated to learn um, what's a good formula for yourself. But ultimately we looked at the, the, the ways people calculate how they answered the question um, uh, about how they charge. And ultimately 88% of the consultants base their rate on an hourly calculation. And now that number includes people who charge by project, par charge by deliverable or charge by time period or some other formula when that's based on an hourly rate. So when we pulled out the people who do not charge based on an hourly rate, either by hour or some other extrapolation of an hourly rate, there's only 12%, uh, right? Yeah, 12% of people charge some other way. So we really need to focus on what that hourly rate is gonna be, whether you charge by hour or you charge some other way and you're using the hourly rate to calculate your price 
let's focus on how you get to the right hourly rate. Okay, so very interestingly, we compared the data that we um, got we compared it with the GPA compensation report from 2022, um, looking at the consultants reported, uh, they call it salary information, but um, we're assuming that it's you know income since they're consultants, they're probably not on salary. Um, but anyway, what we did is we compared the results that we got with the results they got. And I will say that for <clears throat> five of the regions, no, three of the five regions, um, they're broken up by census region. So West, Midwest, South, Northeast are the four regions for the United States. And then we had an international um, um, group. But for three of those four regions, our incomes are almost exactly the same almost exactly the same what was reported in GPA. Um, the West, uh, their incomes have increased a little bit. International was a little bit more than GPA, but here it is. So even if our rates were a little bit more. So our <clears throat> the, the incomes that were reported to GPA and to us are about the same. But when you look at the rates that were reported in the GPA compensation report compared to the rates that we got, they are two thirds to half of what was reported. Now, let me tell you why this might be. Because if the incomes are the same, then the rates should be the same, right? But what happened was the pay rate that's reported in the GPA compensation report was self-reported. So people report what their rate is. Our rate was calculated by the number of hours people say they work by their incomes. So we got a true pay rate. And so I've, I'd like to make a distinction, and I invite you all to make the distinction with me between a pricing rate and a pay rate. So the pricing rate is what we tell our clients is our rate, but the pay rate is the effective amount per hour that we're actually getting paid for our work. And we were able to calculate that based on actual hours worked and they are far below what we either say we're charging or what we think we are getting. Um, it could be because income or rates were not accurately reported, but most likely, and the rest of the data that we got supports this, is that it's most probably because hours are underestimated, underreported, not tracked, not billed, or not paid. That explains the gap between what was reported as a pricing rate and what the effective actual rate is that's going in our pocket. So I'm gonna talk about this just a little bit more and then I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of questions about this because this, this, this blew my mind, just blew my mind. So essentially the effective pay rate, the amount that we actually got paid for our hour of time. Yeah, I saw the little sweaty person just pop up is about one third or even as low as one quarter of the pricing rates that we reported by region, which means 66% to 75% of what we're charging is not going into our pocket, either because of expenses, subcontracts, but either operating expenses or because we're not charging for all of our hours worked and there's a lot of them. And so when you add them in and you refactor those unpaid hours into your actual income, it lowers your effective pay rate. So this is something that we need to consider when calculating what our pricing rate needs to be, right? So the difference between the pricing rate and if the difference between this one, this one I wanna like take a minute. I'm sure you guys read it ahead of me because I'm talking. <clears throat> but the difference between the pricing rate and the pay rate, if it doesn't cover all of our operating expenses as well as any unpaid or unbilled hours, you and me, we are effectively donating our time to our clients. We are paying them to pay us to do work for them. I'm gonna let that sit for a second. Okay, 
So I see lots and lots of questions. Holly, I'm not sure when you want to you want to take them. What's my next slide? Because I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah, we definitely next. have some questions going in. So um, yeah, if you want to stop and take some questions now, we can definitely. Sure, we can do that. Yeah. Okay. So we had um some questions. No, I you know this is a great question from Stacy, and uh, she had a lot of like likes on this one, and people kind of resonating with. Um, especially when we started talking about the startups, right, with people charging less for startups overall. And she said, this could be a hard message for startups. I believe, Stacey, but you can definitely take the mic here if I'm not interpreting your question right. But she said she feels more inclined to help startups who are doing important work. And um, and people were, and then Deborah said it's hard to stand firm when her clients are struggling with her budgets. So this is, you know what I mean? Like, here we go is some of that psychology behind potentially right charging less or charging less for startups is we're thinking they don't have the budget or they're telling us these nonprofits are telling us they don't have the budget so how do we you know any any kind of other data that might point to some of these trends or behavior behind startups related to that charging less well it's certainly something that we think that there's room for further um, questions about. As I said, when we started that we answered all, some of our questions, but we have a bunch more now. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know, um, you know, when we're gonna have the time or, you know, uh, dedicate the resources to, to discovering those, hopefully not too much longer, but there's definitely something to look at there. Um, you know, and, it's great that we as people want to give of ourselves. And I pose to you, why should it be us? Yeah, and I know that you I'm sorry, you and I were talking once and you were like, they don't ask the cable company to reduce the bill, you know, or, and I don't, I don't want people to like attack me like I'm the mean one, but like, you know, I go to, I go to the grocery store and they don't, give me my groceries on a sliding fee scale yeah. because mm -hmm. I, I'm a provider. And Absolutely. so, and the more that all of us excuse our clients from treating us correctly and paying us appropriately, we will not see a change in people feeling underpaid and undervalued, working unpaid hours. Um, and so it, it, it's all part of this, together you know and, and if you want to do that that's fine but you be conscientious of what you're doing and i would also encourage you to and this is kind of getting off a tangent but we do cover it in the report is look at the way you actually price uh, you charge your clients because are you just charging them a lower rate because then you're just giving away your services if you charge them the real way and give them a discount or give them some hours off, then you're creating a deduct a tax deduction for yourself. So I'm not a tax, you know, professional, and I don't want to get dragged into that too much. But there are ways that you can structure your pricing so that people know that they're getting something for free, and that you're not the one who's taking all of. You're not don't. You're not. You're not. You're not giving away without getting. Um, you know, even your your own due tax deduction. So um, something that we're going to talk about is uh, in GEMS, we just re released um, a time tracker. And our time tracker, you it allows you to code your hours as either paid or unpaid. Um, and we did it before these results were out, but because we just knew that we got sucked into working a lot of unpaid hours, no matter, you know, 15 years of running this consultant firm, 25 in the business, um, and, and, and spending every year working at how can we make sure we're getting all our hours paid. And, um, and I don't know if Deja wants to say anything because she's the one that deals with it. But um, so we knew that we needed to track mostly because we wanted to like, do we even really know how many hours it takes us to do stuff? Especially after you've had many years of experience, you're like, oh yeah, I can do that. You know, you and I talk about like, oh, I can do that quick. It's going to take me this amount of time. When I actually track my time, it's different. So the GEMS time tracker, um, it allows you to mark whether it was paid or unpaid or billed or unbilled rather. And at the end of the year, at least with a click of a button, I now can say to my tax preparer, I have this many of unpaid hours and I can take that as business loss, donations, you know, I can uh, discounts. There's a lot of different tax terminology, but I can 
call it something that at least is going to lower my effective tax rate instead of me just working for free for people who who might not even appreciate what I'm giving them because they don't even know the value of what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Maggie put in the chat here, I worked for a startup and reduced my rate when they cried poor. How many of you have done that? I ended up doing a lot of extra work and feeling really bad. It truly affected my sense of self-worth. So absolutely, you know, it, these, thank you, Maggie, for sharing that because I guarantee a lot of us in here resonate with that. I know I do when I first started coming out, you know, you get to the heartstrings or you know the people and all of the things. And it's it's really hard sometimes to stand in your self-worth, but when this kind of data and tracking your time and doing the things when you just have data, it personalizes a little bit. So you're like, this is my business. This is what it is, right? Like that's, this is my number. This is what it is. And it, it gets us so we can have those boundaries. And I think what this report and all this information that we're getting is a way that we can, as a collective, create more boundaries that are healthy, that don't have us you know, feeling our our self-worth affected because it is your time and energy and your specialties and your skills. And we have professional skills, uh, you know, akin to lawyers, accountants, et cetera. They're very, very valuable. You say you on the airplane, they tell you to put your mask on first, right? Like we're not taking care of ourselves. How are we going to help the people who help the people, you know? And if you're going work for free do you really want to work for your client for free or do you want to go be with your dog or your kids or read a book on the beach or do some professional development stuff those are really conscientious choices that we we should be taking for ourselves um it's not a slideshow but um one region that, that i did the analysis for Essentially, if people charged for all of their hours, they would be making 30% more a year, 30% more. Imagine if you're walking around going, oh, I want to make more money. Well, you could make 30% more. That's a pretty good size raise if you charged for your, for your hours. And why, why are we expected to work? and not charge for hours. And where did that even come from? Like where is, and it's pervasive amongst us collectively. Now, you and I were talking the other day about, you know, the whole mentality of some money is better than no money. Oh, yeah. And yeah. we were like, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> yeah, not. it's easy to get sucked in that, especially when you're starting your business, right? But we can get into more of a discussion after. I know that I have a couple of questions here I wanted to shout out before you finished up and got into Q&A, but it sounds like we're getting more discussion more people want to kind of tap in so i'm gonna hold i'm just gonna hold your questions to the end you guys um because i believe you're you're kind of coming up on the end of your slide so we can make sure i'm not sure what the next slide is though (laughs) i have a limited attention span oh it's about it's okay so it's about gems so um so we created gems to deal with a lot of these issues, um, even the ones that we were, because we were feeling them too, right? We had that pressure to, if I want to earn more, I'm going to have to take on another client, right? And so it gets to the point where then I take on another client and now I have to take on another subcontractor. Give me a, hey, hey, if you know what I'm talking about. And so as you're, as you're growing clients and growing subcontractors, we're really not growing any income. We're just growing stress. And so what I did was I looked at, well, how can I write my grants faster, (laughs) right? Because I wanted to increase my income and I didn't want to increase it by taking on more bosses, i.e. clients. So I'm like, if I can get my stuff done faster, that's another way for me to earn more money. And so that's where the genesis of GEMS came from. It was creating a grant management system that helped us work more efficiently. At first, it was about never missing a deadline again, right? And I call it the GEMS hierarchy of grant management needs. If you don't have a system, if you're still you know, dealing with your spreadsheet and post-it notes, then you know that all you're worried about is never missing a deadline again. You're waking up in the middle of the night in a sweat. Oh my God, did I miss that report? So that's like what, that's what brings us to a grant management system. But then once we have that grant management system, it brings us um, lots of economies and efficiencies that allow us to be more professional, um, command a greater rate for our services, do our work faster. And it's all about 
less stress, less burnout in the profession. You know, that's one of my particular pet peeves and giving people the resources they need to function that works for them. I'm tired of, you know, all the systems that are for donor management and you have to do eight steps of workaround to put in the grant and follow the grant deliverables. And then, and then get to a point where we as a profession are earning the money that we deserve. And, and you know, we deserve good pay. Because grant writers, we have to write, we have to understand fiscal documents, we have to be marketers, we have to be, uh, you know, data and analysts. There's so many different skills that you need to be good at to really write good proposals. And we also need to educate our clients, right? So anyway, um, that's kind of where GEMS came from. And it's my gift to anyone who wants to join the GEMS family. I don't know if there's, are there GEMS users uh, here today? Uh, maybe you can uh, do a who, who in the, who, who in the um, uh, chat, you know, because it's really about how do we restructure what we're up to to make sure that we are being fairly, fairly paid. And GEMS is just one tool to make sure you're tracking your time and you're working efficiently. And, you know, whatever tool works for you, that's fine, but you got to have a tool. Oh, we do. We've got a bunch of GEMS users here. That's exciting. Okay. So next slide is uh, plug for GEMS because GEMS helped sponsor this and just letting you know that there are two different plans for GEMS. If you're interested, there's a pro plan, which I don't think with many people here today, that's for people, oh, yay, loving GEMS, saving you so much time. I'm glad to hear that. Um, the pro plan is for individual organizations. But the one thing that makes GEMS really special that none of the other grant management for grant seekers platforms have is that it has a premium platform that's built built specifically for consultants. It allows you to put all of your consultants' work plans Thank you, more, more GEMS lovers in the group, into the GEMS plan where you can manage each of your clients' profiles independently and all of them at once. For everyone on your team, you can give access to your clients so they can see just their work plan. They won't see your other clients' work. And you can keep everything in one place and one system, communicate with your clients, communicate with your teams. And it's, it is, I believe, the one system that's really built for grant consultants. So if you have a system that you're using that you love, that's great. If you uh, don't, please check out Getting Gems. <laughs> All right. And now we're ready for questions and comments. Yay. And the other thing too is, you, and I know that uh, Rachel, you mentioned this in the beginning with Gems is you added that time tracker, which I think is amazing. And you were so excited on the back end when you were really like, Yes, because I'm one of those two with all of my mentees and my mentorship group. I'm like, track your time. Like that is the most, even if you're charging value-based, like a lot of people are saying in here, even if you're not charging hourly, you need to track your time. Like we need to know where our time goes, right? So, so yeah. important to do that because that can help you make directed decisions. Like, okay, um, I spent most of my time working with federal grant clients in 2022 and it brought in, 90% of my income. Well, I should continue to do that. Or it only brought in 30% of my income, but I worked with that. It took, you know, 80% of my time. You need to change up your strategy then for the next year. It gives you Absolutely. data, which is so empowering. Right? So Absolutely. I love and especially with your, you know, with the taxes, right? With the write-offs, with with doing, and I'm not a tax professional either, but there's definitely power in that, right? Where we can really understand what type of leveraging we're doing, what type of free work we're doing, and so we can eliminate it. So I think that's beautiful. But yeah, so thank you so much for sharing the results. Um, and for those of you who want to download a, a report, um, we can definitely, we're going to share a little more information, but I wanted to um, talk about these questions here. Clarify real quick, because there's a lot of people asking for specific data. So um, anyone that attends today will get, um, the, the, this replay is available. Uh, the report is for purchase. The full report with the data is for purchase. For Holly's listeners, um, if you subscribe to GEMS, you get it for free. 
Um, or if you um, aren't uh, looking, if you're already a GEM subscriber, we have it available for you for 50% off. If you didn't take the survey, people who took the survey will be getting it for free. If you didn't take the survey and you do want access to the data, it is available for purchase. Um, and the reason it's available for purchase is because we spent our money to bring this data to you. And um, we hope that you can appreciate that. And we're asking you to contribute to the investment that we made and also, um, you know, show us that it might be worth an investment to look at some of these additional questions in the future. So uh, we have that link for you at the end of the slideshow. And um, and that's that. Yeah. So and I'm uh, I'm going to not be shy about asking for money for my report. Yes. So we have a question from Jana. She says, I wonder why uh, females lose 50 percent of clients. Do we have a hard time standing up for ourselves, sounding firm over this? What's a possible solution? So I love that question. I see Jan. She also has her hand raised. So I'll get to you next. But, um, you know, just to kind of build on this, um, because 80, I believe it was 87 percent of people who actually took part in the survey are female. And or you know uh, they say they're female and that and that it, it's also very I believe that was the same about the same for the GPA report as well. So this industry is predominantly female, right? Overall, very very high female. So I think you know there's a lot to be said about that. But can you kind of go into that question a little bit or what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, what was what was really interesting is that we asked the question if uh, about if people prefer to fight. Uh, or get it to get their fair price. And what we really dis discovered was that the men didn't want to fight for their money. It was like 0%, so, right? Like 0% yeah. of men. All the numbers are mixing in my heads right now. So I'm glad that you remember. But um, so it wasn't necessarily that people don't, don't try to not pay men. Uh, they may be facing similar like struggles with um, with getting charging, but they're not willing to fight to get their money. And therefore, and the women were willing to fight for their money, but that's, and then they're losing clients over it. So men don't lose clients over it because they don't fight with them. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And it was super interesting, like just on the gender topic was, um, because I think that's such, because it's such a predominantly female industry, we need to really kind of lean into that a little bit, but you know, that, the women were actually getting paid on average a little bit higher than the men. However, they were working a lot more on paid hours and they were not feeling as valued or as confident. So, and they, you know, they were saying, hey, we need to get paid where the men weren't, see the men maybe not got paid as much, but they weren't working on paid hours. I think it was at 0% at one point and where women were working, yeah, super high. So that was a really interesting psychological kind of, you know, behavior, I think, be, between the sexes, right, to look at that. And you also have some information on non-binary, um, which is a, a bit of a smaller sample, but um, really interesting, which they actually charge, non-binary actually charged the most, which I thought was really cool. So yeah, yeah, really interesting information on gender and kind of the, kind of the thought process behind it. Um, yeah, very incredible, says Joe. Yeah, so incredible. So um, I... Yeah, so definitely there's a lot more like in the weeds in the report that we can't really get into on this, but a lot on gender, which was very interesting. So Jan, I just want to open the floor to you too, because I know you have had your hand. <laughs> you can go ahead and unmute yourself. Thank, thank you very much, Holly. Thank you, Rachel. This is great stuff. Um, I just want to make a comment about startups and grant writing. And so, you know, there's, there's a notion that startups get their 501c3 and all of a sudden want to write grants, I think there's a huge misstep in, 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 in an injustice to us and to them by trying to get them to go from zero to 60 or zero to 120, right? And so what I've been trying to work with my clients is to offer them an opportunity to do some annual letters to maybe some, um, you know, their top donors, their top friends, their, um, the people that they know, so that they can, right, build revenue, deliver their program, have the data which proves their program works, and then use that as the basis to which go to go get grants. And so I wouldn't necessarily change the pricing for a startup, but I would help them with that staggered approach so that they're not go, going straight to grants. Change the service, not the price. Exactly. And that's fair if you're offering a less intensive service or one that doesn't take as long as much time, 
then you can create some balance there. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the power of data, right? So we can look at it and say, where are the gaps? How can, how, what are some approaches that I can, you know, minimize, minimize the, the hardship to me as the grant, my, grant writer. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that, Jen, because that's something also, I, you know, I tell people like even one of the reasons I wrote my book was because a lot of people, they couldn't um, actually afford my services, but I know they can afford a $25 book, right? So it was a way to get it in the hands of more people to fit their budgets, but it wasn't reducing my price, right? So it was in that way, I felt very like I had boundaries still, and I still had something to offer. I didn't have to say no, or I would do like group workshops. So instead of doing one-on-one -on -one services where it's a lot higher, doing group workshops where nonprofits with smaller budgets could all come in and still get training, but I would still be getting paid because it's multiple people, right? So there's different ways that you can be creative as a professional to do that. So you're not lowering your rates or feeling like, oh, they don't have enough money to pay me, mm -hmm. right? There's different things that you can do to still increase their capacity. So I love that so much. Thank Thanks, Jan. Yeah. And if I can say that Jan is a GEMS user, she's part of our carrot club. <laughs> love it, love it. Here's a question from Melissa. Do you have an idea, recommended ratio for revenue generated versus income paid? Uh, yes. Uh, what the report tells me um, is, you know, and we've heard about that rule of three to one, you know, like multiply times three. What we saw in the report is that the three to one thing holds somewhat true, but here's, uh, it was either 25, so 75% to, so that's like four to one or three to one. But here's the thing, everybody, is the people who answered these surveys are not properly estimating their expenses and their unpaid time to begin with. Mm -hmm. So all of us using the, the data that we found, like, oh, okay, I'll just multiply by three or multiply by four. Well, that, that's better maybe than what you're doing now. So that would be great. But until we really uh, find out the real costs of, of doing the business and the real amounts of unpaid or unbilled hours that you need to get your billed hours to compensate for, right? We need to like build that in. It's a little hard to definitively tell you, but it would only make it more than three or four times. Yeah, and and I, I know, cause I'm a grant writer too, like how the heck am I gonna get anybody to pay that? So, that that's where the collective uh, consciousness becomes really important, you know, because I'm not going to get four times my rate if you're not asking four times your rate and I'm not price fixing. I'm just saying that we all together need to really recognize how much is not getting paid, how much we're donating to people and what steps we can take to track it to know what it is and start to work at closing that gap. Yeah. We are, if we do this um, questionnaire again, we are gonna detail out expenses, what's considered, how much is it? So we can start to get some really good data at like, how much does it cost to do this? I think what happens is a lot of people go from staff writing to consulting and, and we're using the staff rates as our like, guesstimate for what we should be charging as a consultant and it's really off and it's hard because we're competing with organizations deciding well do I hire someone or do I hire a consultant so I don't have all the answers for us today um but I'm really excited that we're talking about this yeah as absolutely. a community and you know the other thing that I know we both have talked about and all of you could probably resonate with this as well as you're talking about moving from staff to freelancer when you're starting your business and you may just look at the rates that you were getting paid and just add a little bit on there, but that's not the way you can do it right at all. But the other thing too, is you're taking the mindset. You're taking the mindset of, oh, I only got paid this. So now you're projecting what you think clients are thinking. 
what, what you think. So once again, it might not be what they're thinking. If they really want your services, even if they have no staff, they can, their board can do a fundraiser and pay for you. Like there are ways to get it done. If we still keep thinking they don't have enough money, it's not necessarily true. That's just what we're thinking. So I, that's what I really liked about this report was more about that behavior, right? And that thought process. Yeah, and for me, like as a practitioner, this is so important to look at these untracked, unbilled, uncharged hours mm -hmm. because, because that's really where the key, like if you're a staff grant writer, you, every hour you work gets paid. So if you take that salary and try to transition it, you're, you're doing yourself a huge disservice because in consulting world, your hours don't all get paid. Yep. You have prospecting hours. You have hours you didn't budget on because they told you we had a, you know, an 80% done application that was junk and you had to start all the different reasons that we don't we can't bill for all the hours we really work or like you're doing a report and you get in there and the data is such a messy spend. I just spent 60 hours figuring out data to write a, like, you know, a report that should have taken me two hours to do, but it took 60 hours of data crunching to write a two hour report. So there's a lot of unpaid hours and we really need to get on, on, on top of that for us to really know what are, what are the rates. Yeah. And I, I love the conversations too, like in this chat, because a lot of you guys are contributing kind of what your pricing structure is. So thank you for being sharing because some of you are saying, Hey, we require 50% upfront, right? These are different things that you can learn from people in this group. Just what, what are you guys doing, you know, and, and take and chew on that and see if it fits with your structure, right? With something you might want to do that empowers you more. Let's go ahead to the next slide, just in case while people are, oh yeah, well, we wanted to ask how we can come together as a profession to address these pricing and pay issues. Um, we started a hashtag when we started this um, survey for pricing for pay. We encourage you to use it. And I, I'm gonna throw that out to you. We'll go to the next slide so that people can grab the QR code to that page if you want. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear from people. What can we do as a collective to start to address some of these, you know, issues of feeling undervalued and being underpaid, um, you know, that we're all sort of facing. And I think having these conversations about it and just all in the chat too, right? All these conversations about it and seeing the data is empowering. Yes, it is sad, but it empowers us to say no more, right? And I love that fair pay, fair, fair equity because, or, um, you know, to really fair pricing, fair pay, because it really is, that's where we need to get to. And it doesn't mean that I know someone said, but I got into this to help low income. And now I feel like mm, if I have to charge my prices, but remember we discussed, there's other ways that you can still have your price that you can do, you know, uh, a modified work project for them, right. That can still really help their capacity and you can still charge your price. There's different ways. You can, a lot of discussion in here about charging up front, right. So to make sure that you eliminate having to chase <laughs> invoices, right? Those types of things. And think about it. That's what lawyers do, right? They come in, they, you, you get on a retainer, right? So why well, can't we be in that same space, right? Nobody asks the lawyer to work for free. No. <laughs> yeah. no, it's like not even about what the pricing structure is. Nobody walks into a doctor's office or a lawyer's office and asks them to give them a discount, asks them to work for free, tells them that they're too expensive, but still wants them to do the work. It just doesn't happen. So that's- Bookkeepers, right? And accountants. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we're asking for money, right? We're asking for money in our grant applications. Um, many of you, you know, you're helping hundreds of thousands, even if it's $10,000, millions of dollars to your clients. Very important skill that just can't be AI <laughs> kind of repeated. So definitely as we're going into this new era, um, you know, and looking at, wow, we really do have conceptual frameworks that we need to work in and are very highly skilled. So grant writers will not be replaced at any time soon. So, but thank you guys so, now, so much for coming. Um, Rachel, I just want to, as we're at the top of the hour and some people are saying, well, maybe we should create a LinkedIn group to continue this conversation. I definitely think there's definitely a lot we can do and we can think about continuing this conversation, but I just want to thank you so much for coming on, for doing this research, for GDS and GEMS doing this research 
and and really spending the time and investing into it because this information is so vital and it's so different than anything I've seen so far in the industry. So thank you for coming on with the grant writing and funding crowd, with the GEMS crowd um, to discuss this. Any last words before we close out? Well, I wanna thank you for writing the foreword in the report. I'm so excited that you're willing to do that for us. And um, please people, uh, this is interesting to you, go get the report. And um, and if you don't have a system, sign up for GEMS, come be a GEMSer. And we'll help you, um, you know, get better efficiencies in your grant writing and earn more and stress less. Thank you so much. And we'll be sending a follow-up email with a replay. So please, if you came on late, you can definitely jump over and watch that again. Um, and there's also ways that you guys can stay connected with us. Um, you can listen to the Grant Writing Funding Podcast, check out more on GEMS, um, and be in this world so we can continue this conversation. Thank you guys for everyone in here as a grant professional for what you do and for showing up and being like, I'm going to really, you know, stand in my worth, stand in my value. I'm going to have these discussions that are hard to have about money and stuff, right? And, and to really be bold and create boundaries. So as a collective, we can really do this. We can increase the bar and level up for all of us. So thank you so much again, Rachel, for coming. And we'll be talking to all of you very soon. I hope you enjoyed today's presentation podcast with Rachel Waterman from GEMS. She really dropped some amazing nuggets of, of information for all of you grant professionals out there. So once again, if you want to find out more of the show notes, the links, all of the things, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 257. Before you leave, if you're not a subscriber already, please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you love it, please leave a review. I love reading every single review for the podcast and it helps other people find it as well so they can get all of this free and very valuable resources and information on grant writing and funding. All right, Changemaker, I hope you enjoy your awesome week and I'll see you next week.